Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of air intersectionality, and creating change. Today, I'm joined by attorney and community advocate, Jacques Purefoy. Purefoy is an attorney, community, and business developer, an HIV counselor, and a facilitator and entrepreneur in residence at the BUILD Institute. She was sworn into the State Bar of Michigan in 2010. Prior to private practice, she was hired by former U.S. House of Representative member Hanson Clark as his chief correspondent. Later, as Clark's Community Grants Coordinator, she worked directly with key federal and state business and civic leaders to identify small businesses and economic development initiatives in southeastern Michigan. She joined the BUILD Institute in 2019 as the lead for Citywide Detroit Soup. The BUILD Institute helps people turn their business ideals into reality by providing them with the necessary tools, resources, and support network in Detroit. Detroit Soup is a micro-granting dinner celebrating creative projects in the city. Jacques was profiled in D-Business Magazine's 2014 Top Lawyers Edition. She was featured in Legal News Motion Magazine and recognized in Black Magazine as a local hometown hero. A mother at 13, Purifoy says that the birth of her daughter made her more determined to achieve the goals her mother set for her. She uses her life's lessons to counsel young women on pregnancy prevention and reproductive health. Jacques is an avid advocate for people in her community. Her most memorable professional moment is having the opportunity to visit the White House on behalf of the citizens of Detroit and to personally meet President Barack Obama, not once, but twice. Jacques, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? Oh, that was very humbling to hear. I'm doing well. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. You know, I mean, I was reading about you. There's so many things that, you know, I can relate to. I had a child when I was in my teens. I wasn't as young as you. But I had one, and to hear what you went ahead and did, that's just, like, phenomenal. You talk about how you were determined to achieve the goals your mother set for you. How important and how big a role model was your mother in your life? 
Well, I have to say is, is ah. a role model mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in my life. My mother, Vivian Hurd, is just a tenacious woman. Um, she was the first um, African-American-owned CDL company in the state of Michigan. You know, my mom came from the South, her and my dad both from um, Mobile, Alabama. My dad was from Pritchard, Alabama. And we know the history of the South. You know, she she recalls people still being lynched and just the different things that they went through in Alabama. And she decided to come to Michigan um, for a better life for my brothers and myself. And she worked hard. My mom drove the smart transportation bus for like 18 to 20 years before she decided to do HR um, for them. Uh, because she 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 recalls she recalled um, stories of them getting oranges and pecans for Christmas as a gift, if you can imagine <laughs> um, mm-hmm. what that what that may have felt like. And she just she didn't like that, and she wanted to provide her children with the things that she didn't have. And she just worked tireless. And I just saw her her tenacity, her will to to be a strong woman, to be a strong mother, and I wanted to duplicate that. Hmm. Now, it's interesting how she was an entrepreneur. You're an entrepreneur. But she also instilled in you the importance of education. You know, you went, you finished high school, you went on and you got two degrees, then went to law school. I mean, how often, and and you know, and and like I said, I so relate to you. I can recall, you know, I had a son, and I can recall someone saying, you know, when I was trying to get a job, you know, well, we don't like to hire, you know, girls like you because you'll probably do it again. And, yeah. and, and, you know, like, and to me, that was like not only were you throwing me under the bus, you're throwing my child under the bus. And you had, it was like the thing that where some people would have gone like, oh, yeah, that's all I got. You know, <laughs> let me just sort of settle. But you didn't. Right. You just it just drove you. Can you share that story and and how do you relate that to? I mean, because that's often what they tell you. You know, well, you know, and and people's perception of African American young women with children. Can you share the story of how what was a slap in your face to me and how that inspired you to do more? Well, so I as you t- talked about, I was a junior lapping. Olympic athlete, AAU, you know, all Catholic, all city basketball player. Um, when I got pregnant in um, August of 95, I gave birth in August, excuse me, April of 1996. The night before I gave birth, I had a rigorous basketball practice. Um, Coach Diane Jones, she was just runners, runners, runners um, to make sure we were in top shape. So the next day, I was in so much pain. But I thought it was just because, you know, I had been running suicides all all night the night before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, call, I'm calling my mom like, you know, I don't feel well. You need to come home. But you know how black moms are. You call them at work. It's like, girls, you don't get off my phone. Go take an ibuprofen and lay down. So, you know, I call my mom. She's like, hang the phone up on me. And um, I had just, just gotten my hair done. Um, and the only thing that would make me feel good is getting in, in and out of the shower. But lo and behold, I didn't. I wasn't aware that I was pregnant, right? So I'm throwing myself in labor, not knowing it. So I'm getting in and out of the shower, in and out of the shower, and and that was and laying on the cold floor in the kitchen. 
That was the only thing that was soothing. So I ended up calling my mom and telling her, you know, something's just not right. You really, really do need to come home. So, of course, begrudgingly, she comes home. She checks me out. I got on a cut-off shirt. I got on my uh, and one cut-off shorts and my Jordans. It was like my uniform. Well, I wear pretty much every day in a day out because all I did was play basketball. So we hops in a truck. We go over to St. John Hospital in Morant. And, you know, when you go in, they ask, you know, when's your last period? How much pain you in? And as a athlete, I mean, I could go months, six months, you know, at a time without having any, you know, periods. So me not having a period wasn't wasn't an alarming thing. But when I said I was like hundred and forty pounds, solid rock abs. Total total you could I mean you could punch me in my stomach. It was that's how flat my stomach was. It had no mm-hmm. no sign of no weight, you know, not even any fat, like zero fat index there. So I get to the hospital and ask those questions, you know, and they're like, Okay, have a seat. So sitting in the chair was just really, really uncomfortable. So I ended up laying down on the floor. And then the, then the nurses came and said, okay, they brought a wheelchair, and they put me in the wheelchair, and they wheeled me to the back. And as I'm going to the back, the last thing I hear my mom say is, every black girl that come here ain't pregnant, I'm going to sue your ass. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, geez, I'm like, why are you so aggressive? Like, good night, you know? Uh-huh. So I go to the back. You know, they have me stand up. They're doing a, they're doing a whole physical. And I was like, yeah, we don't know, you know, it could be your appendix, you know. It's like, okay. So then I, then I hear him say, oh, my God, her water broke. So I turn around, like, okay, somebody else is in the room. They're going to have to go, you know, see about this, expect the mother. Mm-hmm. Then I turn back, and then I just look at my shoes, and clearly my, my Jordan, so it was white Jordan's retro, black Pat mother. And I'm just like, oh, my God, is this going to come out? <laughs> is this going to come out? Like, what is that? What is this? And it was like, you know, they started doing, like, cold, you know, all the different colds, and they rushed into the back. I cut off my shorts. I'm like, oh, my God, this is this is just, like, life altering. All I'm thinking about is my shorts are, my, they cut my shorts <laughs> off. My Jordans are ruined. Like, life is over. You know, it, it, but really, the bigger the bigger problem right now is that, oh, my God, I'm giving birth, and I was unaware that I was pregnant. My mama didn't know I was pregnant. Jay didn't know I was pregnant. None of my friends, my brothers, like, no one. So the doctor, so, so, so I'm telling him, I'm like, well, you don't know my mom. Like, she's from the South, and she's out cold. Like, this was not part of our plans. I got scholarships from the University of Michigan, UNLV, Dartmouth, Harvard, like, full ride. This is, you know, having a baby. And plus, no one knew I was pregnant. How can I just leave, mm-hmm. you know, out of here, how I came in here? And the doctor's like, no, no, you got to let your mom back in here. I was like, no, but my mom is going to kill me. <laughs> uh, and I ended up really, I just said a prayer because I'm like, this is the end of life. Because this was not part of our plan at all. You know, my mom was just mm-hmm. a, just a woman. Classy woman, woman of excellence, education, just greatness, black excellence, black girl magic, all of that before it existed. So I, Jasmine told me I ended up having to get stitches, and then, you know, I went to recover. Um, and I finally let them talk me into letting my mother in there, and I just kind of, like, accepted my fate that life was over. Mm-hmm. And you've been in a hospital before, and um, so you know how that floor sounds, and you mm-hmm. – um, and if your mom wear heels or if you wear heels, mm-hmm. you know what you, you know what your mother's walk sounds like. And I was laying in the hospital bed, um, you know, the, the, the curtain was pulled all the way around, and I could just hear her steps on that floor. And my heart is racing. I'm just like, oh, my God, this is really it. She's going to probably choke slam me. Body's going to pull me out the bed. She, you know, she'll have some choice words. This is just, this is just, you know, no, this is unacceptable. So my mom walks, you know, she walks across that curtain. I could hear, and I could just, it's almost like I was having my skin pulled off, and she was opening the curtain. 
<laughs> and she just looks at me. She stands at the end of the bed. I'm standing at the end of the bed, and my heart is racing. And she just walks toward me. And she extends her right hand out, and she says, Jacquees, I love you, and we're going to get through this. Oh, wow. That is and beautiful. that was it. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, my God. So when I shake her hand, I'm like, okay, man, this has got to be a decoy, right? Because when I pull my hand out, she's going to snatch me up. So I shake it. <laughs> well, not the most confident. It's probably the weakest handshake I ever had. Um, but we shook hands on it. She said, you do your part, I'll do mine. And then she asked me who was the father, and I told her. She called Sandra. Sandra's on the phone crying, and she's like, you know, when did she get pregnant? Just confused. Everybody's confused. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like, oh, you need to get out of the hospital. And then my mom just, uh, we had an open room. She re- remodeled the house, ordered a crib and all stuff that comes with having a baby. So I go from athlete to mom in a blink, in a matter of hours. Mm-hmm. Um. I went on to graduate from eighth grade, first in my class, valedictorian. Then I went to Dominican High School and Academy where I graduated salutatorian of my class mm-hmm. at 17 years old. I got mm-hmm. an academic scholarship to the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor, where I went on to earn a degree in English and American culture in three years and eight months. All right. After that, I decided I was going to go work for the NAACP, using College Division, um, because it was important to me to give back because, like you said, people, so many people had counting me out, and it wasn't, they wasn't expecting me to have more children. They wasn't expecting me to finish school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to tell you the story what led me to law school. So in law school, you know, I had this, um, excuse me, in undergrad, I had this four-year-old who was eight, year old, eight years old by the time I graduated, um, and I needed more money. I was on assistance. So I go into my worker and I say, you know, Miss X, whatever her name is, I need more money. I'm having a hard time. You know, I'm a single parent. I'm at Michigan. And she pulls out this sheet of paper. On the left side, it has this number like 0 to 20. And on the right side, I had numerical amounts, let's say 0 to 700. And then she turns, she looks me in the face, and she turns the paper to me, and she slides it across the desk, and she says, if you have another baby, I can get you some more money. Mm. And I said, excuse me? I said, if I have another kid, how would I be able to function? You know, I'm already taking a bus going to work, you know, work now and school. I, I can't afford another child. I said, what kind of rules and law? What, who makes it? Well, this is the federal government. This is, the, you know, this is controlled by them. And I said, oh, I said, oh, this needs to be changed. And it was at that moment that I decided that I wanted to work on Capitol Hill and that I was going to go to law school. So fast forward, I graduate. And, of course, I didn't have no more babies. And her idea was just ridiculous. Um, I graduated Michigan, I went to work for the NAACP, and I wanted to have a larger impact on on people who look like me and, and in our community. And I decided to quit the NAACP, which my family thought I was crazy because I had a salary and full benefits, and I went to law school. I went to law school. I finished law school in um, four years because I had to work two jobs at night, and I went to school on the weekend with my daughter. And I passed the bar the first time. And when I passed the bar, I, while I was in law school, I interned for who was then a senator, state senator, Hanson Clark. But when I passed the bar, because he's also a lawyer, I reached out to their office like, hey, I'm a, you know, you really inspire me. Um, I, I'm a lawyer now, and, you know, you, you got any openings. I ended up flying out to D.C. for what they call like a working interview with really no expectation. But when I left D.C., I had a full-time job offer to mm-hmm. serve as a chief to serve as a chief correspondent 
And Hanson, Clark, and I, uh, and our staff, we worked on WIC legislation, we worked on economic development, funding for HIV and AIDS, like all the different big things that impact people who look like me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, 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 and it's always just been remembering where I started, you know, that girl from the east side, 94, and, and, and Cashew, who people didn't expect to amount to anything. And not only was I determined to make sure that I arose to the occasion, I wanted to make sure that Jasmine had that opportunity. I wanted to make sure that anybody around me, anybody that I knew, any young girl who found herself in that situation, to know that she can have hope and she don't have to be defined by one moment. We can't be defined by one moment in our lives. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that that's the other thing that I like about you. And, you know, and I've done that too, to go back and to talk about about that and how you're not defined by one moment and how you can go on. And, you know, it might not be easy and it's hard, but, you know, that, that, that taking that responsibility, but more importantly, what your child is seeing and learning from you. I mean, right. you know, and, and, and often young, young women don't have that, you know, or they've seen that, you know, I've worked in situations where you have, I've had, you know, young women who have generations of women who didn't see where they could accomplish anything other than like having, you know, have another baby and, you know, and and the things that go to that. So to break that is so important. When you go in, okay, two questions. First of all, how did having your daughter change the dynamic of your family? Hmm. I think it just made us stronger. No mm. one shamed me. I mean, look, when I tell you this, the craziest thing, uh, Ms. Brown, literally I go from kid, you know, ponytail, tomboy, to mom. I mean, when I got to the house at mm-hmm. the hospital, it, the room was set up, my brother's like, this is my niece. No one shamed me. And I, and it probably, maybe my mom had a powwow with them, like, this is my baby, uh, mm-hmm. and this is what I'm doing for her. Don't y'all say nothing to her. I wouldn't be surprised if my mom had to come to Jesus talk with everybody who thought they would say something. Because if you know my mom, she don't, uh, she's, she, she loves me to pieces, and she's not going to let anybody do anything to me or say anything to me. Um, but the family did strong. We just became stronger as a family unit. My brothers, uh, Brinson and Thaddeus, stepped up huge. My cousin Aaron, who lived uh, with us at that time, also stepped up. Uh, Pookie, my mom ended up hiring a full-time, her name was Emma, my, ended up, my mom ended up hiring a full-time help um, because I because I did play, I was a varsity athlete in two sports, and I worked at Foot Action after, after school, so my mom ended up hiring Emma to help with Jasmine, just to make sure that I was able to stay on track, and I was committed. That handshake, even that handshake even though, you know, as a lawyer, you know, contracts need to be in writing. You know, you can't have oral agreements. Mm-hmm. That handshake sealed the deal for life. My mom told me, you do your part, I'll do mine, and, and I am holding on to that. that. That saved my life. That handshake saved my life. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to tell you, your mother and my mother were cut from the same cloth. I mean, as you say those things, it's just like I just have flash, flashes. My mother isn't, isn't, isn't here anymore. You know, she passed on, but... That important right, role and how how that child, like you said, it changed the dynamic of the family. It made it stronger. And, I mean, and like you said, that come to Jesus talk, your mother did. I'm going to tell you, and I know your mother did because, I mean, later on, my, you know, I have people tell me, you know, like, 
My mother, you know, was like, don't you dare. But at the same time, she held you accountable, and she helped you reach those goals. Absolutely. And that, and that must be such a powerful message when you go back and you talk to young women and, you know, about getting pregnant and waiting, and you talk about abstinence, you talk about disease. Do you ever, have you ever had someone come to you who has had that child and maybe, like, doesn't know what they do and, and is inspired by your story or come to you and you're able to point them in that direction, give them that, give them that handshake that maybe they don't have someone in their family to give? Absolutely. I, I've had – it, so, it is so interesting because when people ask me to speak, I'm like, why do you – nobody care about this story. And, 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 and it's, it's just so interesting because I've done commencement speeches, and I think about um, – the name of the school is escaping me right now, but it's an all-girls school on Woodward. It used to be the old Northern in Highland Park. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. They, the, pink, the colors are pink. Um, I know. I did a commencement. I can say I did a commencement speech there, and afterwards, young women. It was she was in my were in tears, feeling like because they said they just felt so hopeless that they didn't have any options, that they couldn't go to college, they didn't know how they was gonna do it with a baby. In tears, just like okay, can I hug you, <laughs> complete mm-hmm. stranger? Can I hug you? Mm-hmm. Can I have your number? Can I stay in touch with you? Oh my God, you know how is Jasmine doing? If your daughter, then you know I'm like, well, Jasmine's in college now, graduate. All right. And they're like, if, my, if your baby could do it, then, you know, that's hope for me and my baby. So helping, like, not just the kid slash mom, but that next generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that is that is so important. Like I said, I mean, I could, there's so many things as I read that and I said that, you know, and I said, oh, we have to talk. Because a lot of the things that you did, it's a life lesson. And it's a life lesson that, Many young women in our community still need, and sometimes you don't have that, that mother. And, you know, and sometimes some kids don't listen to their mother, but they'll listen to you and they'll see you and that you accomplished so much. The fact that you went back to school, I can see you going to school and, and you know, working at night, you know. I mean, I mean, it's like you are my little sister, you know. We have walked <laughs> that walk. And, right. and, you know, and it's important, as I read that, I said, that is as important as the many other great things that you've gone on to do that, you know, I, we often talk particularly, you know, you see the thing, oh, it gets better. And, you know, it gets better has more to do than, than you know, sexual orientation and gender expression. It also has to do when you have kids who, who have such potential to go on where one person saying one thing, good or bad, can spur them on to 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 greatness. Right. I have to give kudos to the coach Jones, you know, Diane Jones. Um because after after I had jazz and I had I did have I had so much shame I was embarrassed, um, you know because I was I was in, <laughs> I was at a Catholic school you know raised even though I was in, you know baptized Baptist church but I went to St St Matthew Elementary Dominican High School and the nuns really wasn't fond of me rolling up to the school with the kid they didn't want me to set set any precedents right about hey we, this is what goes on over here at Dominican. But I remember one basketball practice. I was so tired. This is after Jasmine. And I was like, you know what? I'm just tired. I'm not coming to basketball practice. And Diane Jones got in her car, and she didn't have to do this, came to my house 
drug me out of the bed. She said, you do not. And this is, this is a white woman, too. I want to say that. This is a white woman. Mm-hmm. who said, you're not going to quit, Jacquees, just because you got this kid and you talk. No, you, you are a woman of excellence. You're a Dominican woman. We don't quit. And um, so it wasn't, like you said, because oh, if I told my mama, you know, I'm tired, I ain't going to basketball practice. My mom like, okay, whatever, go ahead, take a nap. But it was other women who also stood in the stead of my mother when she was tired or I was pushing back to her and she just like, okay, do that, do whatever. It was other women and Diane Jones was one of those women who said, ah, no, you don't quit. You get your, get your gym shoes on, get onto this track and you're going to run and you're going to work out and you're going to do what you need to do, what you committed to. And I'll always be indebted to Coach Jones and Coach Sue, um, who are like second and third mothers to me, who, who've made sure that I've eaten. It was chicken wings, you know, Coach Jones, and I love getting chicken wings. <laughs> Seriously, we would go and just talk, just go and talk, and, you know, and she would just instill in me. She took me, first person to take me up north. You know, black people, we ain't going up north in no college. I, what's a pontoon? Introduce me to a pontoon in George Lake. And snowmobiling, snowmobiling, for God's sake, from, 19, you know, 48224. So she showed me a different way. You can buy property, Jacqueline, and you can have these toys if you work hard, right? And just a different way of what it means to be a successful woman. Uh, and I'm always, I'm always going to be indebted and, and thankful to Diane Jones for not giving up on me, too. That's great. Well, we're going to take our first break here. And... Um, When we come back, we're going to get into your career life. So if you're just joining us, this is Collections by Michelle Brown. Our guest is Jacquees Purefoy, and we'll be right back. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. back here on Collections, talking with Shaquise Purefoy. So you were working for the NAACP. Now you know the 110th Annual Conference is coming here to Detroit. And, yes. I, you know, how did you, what was it like to go and work for the NAACP? Were you driven by what it meant, it being the oldest civil rights organization? Was it just a job or was it a combination of the two for you? Well, I've been very blessed, Ms. Brown, that I haven't had. The last time I, it was just a job, I was doing midnight stock at Kroger in undergrad. Right. <laughs> My Lord. Woo. Never want to do that again. Um, no, you, you, the largest, oldest, boldest, you know, coldest organization in the country. You know, it was an honor um, to work for them and to learn 
under the tutelage of giants like, you know, Julian Bond. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just, it was so exciting. And you think about all the Supreme Court cases and, you know, the Brown versus Board of Education and just how they shaped the trajectory of the country and rights for black people. I had to make sure I had it as part of my history and my legacy that I've done some work on the ground to also be about part of that change. So no, it was not just a job. It was it was purpose. It's it's mm-hmm. it's what I'm fueled with, you know, what leads me even now. Mm-hmm. Because you are you are a community advocate. And you know, and I tell I often tell people when we were kids we had an aunt and as soon as you were age she got you this this youth membership because she thought it was important that we knew about about this work, the importance of the civil rights movement and the work that the NAACP did. How do you, what lessons from that experience did you carry over into your work with Hanson Clark? What lens were you able to put on community having been with the NAACP? Well, it's just about being able to stand up and being resilient. You know, the NAACP is always at the cutting edge, um, not only responding to crises in America, but also being proactive and innovative on solutions to black and brown problems, you know, in America. So for me, you know, we worked in the youth and college division. We were over seven states making sure that the young adults were trained in civil rights advocacy and, more importantly, the importance of education. We we can't get anywhere without that piece of paper in our hand. we got so many things stacked up against us. And even when you have a degree, you'll talk to people with degrees that still have trouble finding employment. But that's besides the point. Um, we, we want to be able to have a fighting chance at being successful and having a part of the American dream. And for me and for many people who look like me and my colleagues, having an education and having that, that grit um, is important. And I took those skills and I applied it on a federal level, uh, working for Congress and Hanson Clark in the uh, 13th Congressional District um, of Southeast Michigan. And, again, my, and that focus was more small business oriented, helping people identify funding um, for their businesses through federal, public, or private funds uh, in the state of Michigan or federally. Mm-hmm. So, okay, and now you talk about your most, and I know it was a memorable time. It was a moment in time. You know, when you went to the White House, and you met President Obama, not once, but twice. Um, <laughs> first of all, you know, I mean, having been there, I mean, and in that space, how amazing it was. And to, I mean, as a young person, when you were going to law school and you were reading about this, and, you, and you know, we did have some, we had Thurgood Marshall, you saw the work and towards justice and stuff. What was it like for you? I mean, because you're still like, relatively young, you know, you're still a baby, yeah. you know, yeah. but, but, but to be going to the White House, what took you there, and what was that like for you? Well, I, just for clarity's purposes, I didn't get the chance to see President Obama at the White House itself. I, both times I saw him, it was actually here in Detroit, just to, for clarity's mm-hmm. sake. Um, but I, what it was like, so how I got to go, Curtis Lipscomb who was executive director at LGBT Detroit, contacted me and asked me, um, no, sorry, I'm complaining stories. That's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> I actually had to start thinking about it. How I got invited to the White House. 
was our office was contacted because they knew that I was a um, certified by the state of Michigan HIV AIDS tester and counselor. And I got tested by, excuse me, I was certified by working with an organization called Gospel Against AIDS. So Gospel, so Gospel Against AIDS came to our congressional office. They wanted to tell us about what the work they do. And I was with so fascinated by it. With Felix and Paula. Yeah, with Felix and Paula. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yep, yep. Um, so they came to our office. They did a presentation. I said, this is just an awesome work that you're doing. And I joined on with their team, and I got certified through the state of Michigan. And after I got that certification, the office, my office, Congressman, the court's office, you know, was aware of that. And in turn, um, the liaison at the White House office was aware. And I got an invite. I was like one of six out of 435 members of Congress staff people to be invited, one of six out of all those people. Mm-hmm. And... The purpose was to learn about funding for HIV and AIDS um, and how I, we can bring that money back to the city of Detroit to combat it. Because as you know, women, black women, we're the leading group of new uh-huh. HIV AIDS cases. And so that ties in that me being a teen mom, me having clearly unprotected sex. Uh, one time I got pregnant, the first time I had sex. So being able to advocate to people, like, it don't take much, right? It can take your first uh-huh. time. Thankfully, all I contracted was a baby, right? And I still have my life, and I don't have HIV, or I didn't get any other STI, for that matter. So Congressman Anthony Clark just thought I was a perfect advocate to be able to say, you know, you could, not only talking about it, but I'm walking it, right? This is my journey. This has been my journey. And I can connect with people in the community. I can go into the clinics. I can get my sister girl on, right? And I can also go to the White House and be really, you know, <laughs> boardroom-esque. So I can get the money, then I can also come back to the hood and talk to the people about who need these programs. And that's what I really, really loved. Um, And to answer your question, you said, what was it like? It was breathtaking. Um, You Mm -hmm. think about slaves and our ancestors who built this place and the history of the White House. But having that first black African-American president there, to be there at that time was just Magical. I, I I couldn't have ever, I never dreamt or thought about I would have an opportunity to set foot, be in the White House. I mean, I got a placard, White House, my name on it, Jacquees Cheerfoot, in the room. Like, I'm on official roads. Somebody go and do some research. I, You know, my ID was scanned. I'm a part of the mm-hmm. history records of attending there. And it was just it was like my ancestors would be proud right now. Harriet Tubman, who walked from Alabama to Michigan, mm-hmm be proud right now um, and just taking those steps that she that she made and just walking as far as I can go and to pass the baton to the next to the next generation of people you know I mean I really I mean I wish that I mean it is and it's important that you tell those stories and what it was about to see because I often tell people you know to have gone in the White House and to walk down hallways with a many of the pictures that are on the wall when you see black people, they're like waiting on tables or they're in the background and that. Then you turn the corner to the Oval Office and there is your president and he looks like you. I mean, right. we need to tell our young people about this so that, you know, it, isn't, it wasn't a fluke. This is not a one-off and that they need to imagine themselves being in that Oval Office. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
I mean, so, I mean, I want you to, I mean, every day, you know, regularly, you need to tell that story about that because it is, it's really, really so important. And especially now when you see that people feel like, oh, well, we can't accomplish that again, you know, but we can. Right. We can. Yes, can. Uh-huh. Yes, you know. And we're, and we're being told to go back to where we came from when we were born here. I mean, we are, it's a time to be alive, I tell you that. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, it certainly is when you stop and you, and how, because, you know, and, and to say that and to tell people, like, you know, people go, oh, it doesn't mean it. It does mean something. You know, our visibility does mean something. It's really important, you know, that we still have the largest civil rights organization is, is there, and it's here right now in our city, and that they're still doing work. There's a lot of work yet to do. Absolutely. Okay. From your legislative background, I know that, you know, you're a community advocate. When after, you know, Hanson Clark was no longer in office and you got, did you look at your community and say, how do I keep this work going? How do I continue to serve? Well, I think the community looked at me and said, Jacqueline, you're going to continue to serve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, was, I was led by the people. You know, I met thousands of people, and that's not an exaggeration. I met thousands of people in the course of that 2011, 2013 um, sent in office with working for him. And those people still had needs, which is why I also ended up going to work for myself. I, mm-hmm. The people that I met, the constituents I met, allowed me to start my own law practice and I did that, and 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 also in 2012, I started out volunteering what was then called DHive, and they offer business planning courses. So I I volunteered and I taught the legal structure. I was coming in and serve as an expert talking about legal structures, and I did that. Um, for some time, and then April Boyle, the executive director, uh, asked me would I teach my own class. So I'm like, April, mm-hmm. you going to pay me to do what I was doing for free? I'm like, that. <laughs> what a blessing. And I said yes, um, and mm-hmm. I, I served in that capacity, you know, since 2012. And then this year I accepted a contract position with them to serve um, on their staff to do events for them, and I'm also teaching, still teaching the Bill Basics course. And for me, the the connection is helping people accomplish their dreams. It's nothing like being an entrepreneur, working for yourself, because when you work for yourself and you're successful, you in turn get to employ other people. Right, and you get to inspire other people to live out loud and to live their dreams too. So every day, Miss um, Brown, I wake up just on fire for life because I'm literally getting paid to serve hope. Now you know how important is it because you know I've met many, not only um, entrepreneurs, but even like nonprofits people who want to do that. And, they, you know, they're just, you know, I can do this. And they just go there and do that. But they don't understand the legal aspects of it. How important is it to have that training go hand in hand? Not only how to make your business plan, but the legal aspects, protecting your intellectual property, you know, making sure you dotted the I's, crossed the T's, making sure that you read contracts and understand so you don't get hoodwinked and bamboozled. How important is that? It's very important. You've got to protect. You've worked so hard, right? You have these ideas and you've manifested them. Your dreams are out there for the world. You think about I'm sure you've heard of Detroit versus everybody, correct? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. All right. So that's a great, great example, right? They trademark, they have that all protected. So if someone decides to do uh, New York versus everyone, they can send a cease and desist letter to them saying, hey, you're infringing upon what I have legally protected. Now, I can give you a license to do that, which you're going to pay me to do, or you have to stop doing it. And if you don't stop, then I'm going to sue you. And the court is going to grant them monetary damages. So you have a great idea, it's important to protect it um, because someone will sell it. Someone will come up and try to take it. I think about my homeboy, um, Fame with 313. He has a store right there in Livernois. Everybody needs to go support him doing his construction. Um, he's in the lawsuit right now with Eminem. Eminem mm. will try to take one of his companies. And, and people think, oh, it's just a little business. But it's not. It's a little business so it ain't, right? And then you got people with deep pockets. Eminem is not broke by any means, um, multimillionaire trying to take a name for someone who's had it for years. But thank God, Fang was smart enough to have his interests protected. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like we often talk like that, if you go back back in the day, you know, and if you, we, look, we study our history because people, many people only have ideology trait as it is now, but if you go and study your history, we know that we had uh, business district. We had our own hospital. There were all these things that we had, and then suddenly a lot of it was gone. <laughs> and how do we get back to that? And is that part of what you're doing in your current capacity to help rebuild a business district that's not just, you know, and I'm not knocking Midtown, but you know what? We've got a lot of neighbors and entrepreneurs. We still have a lot of business districts that need developing right here in the community. Is that part of what your mission is? Absolutely. You think about Black Bottom, right, before they decided to run the freeway through it. Mm-hmm. We had lawyers, accountants, cleaners, dentist's office. We had everything within our own community. We didn't have to go out to our own. We had the black-owned hospitals right there off Jefferson. We had everything, and it was stripped from us. So absolutely, do we want to give back to a Black Bottom or a Black Wall Street where we can have our own? We don't even have a grocery stores in neighborhoods, right? Mm-hmm. People buying their groceries from the freaking gas station marked up five ten dollars plus, you know, markup. Um and it's not fresh produce. I mean I can go on and on. So yes, so shout out to Sue Mosley in Midtown who 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 helped my friend today open a business, uh, cooking with Q on Woolworth. So we do want to see the black businesses open on Woolworth, but we also want to see the businesses on Livernois and Seven Mile, Good Cakes and Bakes, Detroit Sip, uh, three thirteen, Cuzzles, Bakers, all of those that's in the hood to that to be able to thrive too. Absolutely. Neighborhoods are totally important because that's where I'm from. I'm not from Midtown. I'm from 94 in Cashew on the east side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm not from the east side. I told you we have so much in common. <laughs> I told you we have so much in common. Okay, now, okay, so we have to, well, we'll get back to it. Okay, so you're here with how did the BUILD Institute and also Citywide Detroit Soup. How, what is a building, and how did Citywide Detroit Soup develop from the Build Institute? Well, just for clarity, so Build Institute is a nonprofit. 
Mm-hmm. That was established in 2012. It's a small business incubator that helps people start, grow, and build their companies. We really we do that in a multitude of ways. My role, um, I teach the small business build basics course, and I'm teaching currently teaching the accelerated class. And that's every other Saturday from 10 to 3, we cover a different subject matter. So we start with legal, we do accounting, budgeting, market analysis, market research, marketing, uh, public relations, sales, projections, etc. You do the assignments every week, you'll have a business plan. And then once you get that business plan, then we connect you with different funders that we work with. One of those funders is Kiva Detroit, who lends up to $10,000, 0% interest. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's the Build Institute. Then the Detroit Soup is a program of Build Institute that was started by a woman named Amy, and I, I apologize name if you listen to this, Carol, Carol, K-A-H-E-R-L, I believe is how she spelled her last name. She started as a community micro-granting dinner. And she had done that for a number of years. She ended up moving away from Detroit, doing some other work. Uh, but we didn't want to see the program die because it's so important. I mean, it's so cool. You think about a, it's like a Detroit Shark Tank. So how Detroit Soup works, which mm-hmm. <laughs> really, really is. Mm-hmm. You can go online, you apply at DetroitSoup.com backslash submit. And the only requirement is that whatever you're pitching to do has a positive impact on the city of Detroit. So our last winner, Kimberly Banjo, she pitched for a project called SWIM 1922. SWIM 1922 is a program that's going to be ran, actually, this Sunday, July 21st, at Chandler Park, and she's flying in two Olympic athlete swimmers to train black and brown children on how to swim water safety. Every day, 10 children, excuse me, 10 people die from accidental drownings. And it's 64% of black kids do not know how to swim. That's why they're dying from things that are preventable. So mm-hmm. she pitched. We had like over 50 people apply. Uh, we had a committee of um, community advocates who ended up selecting four. Those four people came. They had uh, four or five minutes to share what their project was, and then the community votes. So Kimberly won by actually one vote. Um <laughs> In one vote, yeah, that's how tight it was. Mm-hmm. And we we had uh, 135 people in attendance, and Kimberly was able to take home $1,236.42 just from the community. And it's no strings attached. The only requirement we have when people win Detroit Soup is to come back to the next one. So Kimberly will come back August 25th and give us an update on what she did with the money and how was, how the program ran. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now you, you know it's interesting because you know a long time ago I remember reading about the Grameen Bank over in Bangladesh where they made these small loans to people no interest you know and how making those loans to people who are doing whatever how helping them be successful lifted up the whole community like you know sometimes it's not a whole big thing that you have to do because sometimes right. we get you know we get like sort of caught kind of like if I don't have all this financing but how important was to get that aspect of it to have someone who was prepared to make the to microfinance these small endeavors absolutely 
as well because you can't put it. And Kim, Kim's um, a swimming lesson, a full swimming lesson is fifty dollars. You can't tell me that a life of a black and brown kid is not worth fifty bucks, right? $50. That's something we all can get. That's all. That's something we can all get behind, right? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Our lives, our children's lives matter. And for a low cost of $50, you can provide a swim lesson, teach you how to tread water, right, and be able to just survive. If you find yourself in a situation that's, you know, unpleasant, you can, you can thrive. At least get to the side and hold on. You know, if you can't tread water, you can't even do that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and now we have black athletes competing, like in the Olympics, getting scholarships, things. That's money that has been available that we – didn't have access to simply because because of racism, we didn't get into, involved in swimming. But right. here, I mean, we've got people who are African-American competing and swimming, diving at the Olympic level. I mean, for $50, you could have someone standing on the podium getting that gold medal, and, you know, in some years because of this program. Absolutely. I mean, that's the goal, right, to not only create water safety, but an introduction to a whole new lifestyle and competitive market. Because you know anytime we do a sport, you look at Tiger Woods, you look at Venus, anything we start doing, we just going to take it over and win. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it goes out of my mind that the next Olympic swimmer could come right out of Chandler Park. Yeah, wouldn't that be amazing, you know? I mean, we have a young woman from Flint who won gold boxing. You know, right. I mean, so Clarissa. we can, you know, you know, so we can do these things. I mean, it's just like it's there. We can do this. So she'll come back and in August and talk about the success of her program and what yes, has happened. Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. Well, not only success, but you know, do they also talk about like some of the challenges and then how they overcame those challenges? Well, yeah, she's, you know, we don't have a, it's really up to the presenter, um, and if she has some challenges, she can definitely share, but she's been doing very successful. I mean, I don't know if you heard any radio ads, they've been running ads, Um, she's been working really hard to raise money. Um, Probably her biggest challenge, she would say, is funding, you know, because she still had to pay the aquatic center, she had to pay for the travel of these athletes to come in, and they're per diem, and you know, et cetera. So, um, but yeah, I'm sure she can she can share her whole experience, what it takes to run. I think the last time I talked to her a few hours ago, I believe she said she had 2,800 people registered um, to attend. Mm-hmm. And the park, I think the park capacity, pool capacity is a thousand. So it's going to be very, wow. very, uh, very fun packed mm-hmm. Sunday. Mm-hmm. Wow. That is just incredible. I mean, really, that is just incredible, like, for something like that, you know. I mean, so this event that you did today um, that I've seen lots of things about here, we have um, the Kitchen by Cooking with Q. Yes. How how did he get engaged? And I see, I'm looking at one of the pictures, I see a dear friend of mine, Nefertiti Harris, who, you know, Back before Midtown was Midtown, when there were small places, you know, I can recall when Avalon Breads opened up selling bread dollars to get going, and Nefertiti had a space. In fact, at one point on the corner where Del Fryer used to be, Nefertiti was in there, then she moved to another place. Now she's done a thriving business. These were people who, I mean, I think that without them having started right there in that Willis Cass area, there wouldn't be a midtown. 
You right about that? Mm-hmm. A little cat so, corridor. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, Women trailblazers are trailblazing and making a way. When people say, oh, this person did it, when you're the model, but it's hard being a first, right? When you're the model, it's like, oh, if she can do it, then we can replicate it, right? And it instills hope in everybody. When you see somebody that look like you, talk like you, walk like you, have a business idea, it, it brings hope for you to try too. Mm-hmm. And um, Q, Q um, we're cooking with Q. She's a build grad, so she's come through the Build Institute, which further proves and shows we know what it takes to create successful business plans for people to go and get funding for their businesses. We're doing the work and helping people have the tools to be successful right here in Detroit. Mm-hmm. And I think that's everything that's so great. Like, we've often seen people who – will get their degree, will get a skill, and next thing you know, they've moved on. They're doing it. They're coming right back here in Detroit. They're employing Detroit, Detroiters, and they're they're making the city alive, you know. Yes. Mm -hmm. That That is it. So we're going to take our second break. Then we're going to talk a little bit about you and get some more information on how people can contact uh, the Build Institute and a whole bunch of other things. So we'll be right back. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. back here on Collections by Michelle Brown. And I'm talking with, I'm telling you, I'm just, I'll, I'll call her my sister, my sister, my little sister, <laughs> from the east side, from the yes. east side, doing it here in Detroit. You know, now one of the things that I, I, I told you, like the first time that I met you, and someone, in fact, it was a friend of ours, um, Roberto Hammond, who said, mm-hmm. you know, you should talk to her. Uh, and the first thing I noticed about you was you had on this nifty little bow tie. And every time <laughs> I see you, you've got on these great bow ties, and then I'll see pictures of people who have on a similar bow tie, and they say that they got it from you. Tell me about the bow tie. So that's a Purefoy collection. So I'm Jacqueline's Purefoy, and I am just, I love being unique, and I love being authentic and standing in who I am. And one of my signature pieces is uh, my bow tie. So I decided to design a line of bow ties because it's nothing like, you know, you go to a function, you know, it's a black tie fair, and you have on the same shirt or the same dress as someone else. It just makes you feel a way. And I said, what's the absolute best way for me not to ever experience that again? Design my own. Um 
And every time I would go out, people would compliment me or ask me, hey, can I buy that bow tie from you? And I'm thinking, well, no, I'm not going to give you the tie off my neck. And that really just, that, that, that sprouted an idea for me. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, let me just, I'm going to make six of them, right? No harm, no foul. I made six bow ties, and I would sell them out quickly. I said, well, mm-hmm. i just make six more. That was just a fluke. People like me. You know, my friends just want to be supportive. And I just kept doing it, and I just kept selling out. And then I ended up in a, I was in a 1701 Bespoke carrying my bow ties, and I was in a tuxedo shop. I mean, it just it, it created a life of its, of its own simply because every time I would go out, somebody would ask me to buy one. And so I just started making them for other people. Uh-huh. It, was, <laughs> it, it, was as, it was It was as simple and as hard as that. Mm-hmm. Now, had you ever done anything like that, made something, you know? No. Mm-hmm. No, I don't even know how to sew. No. <laughs> I, never, <laughs> I, I was not the – my mom is, you know, home Susie Molly maker. She want to bake the cakes and sew stuff. She, you know, back in the day she would go over to uh, Joanne Fabrics and get those patterns, had a machine, you know, going, no, I was not that kid. No, I, so I didn't know mm-hmm. how to sew. But I know what looked good, I know what feel good. So I would go and buy the high-end, you know, velvet and different uh, fabric or half fabric shipped to me from Chicago. So I know what looks good, what's stylish, what people want, what's more important than what I want. Um, and then I just found someone to make it for me. So mm-hmm. that's what I did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's just kind of neat. Now, you know, we started talking about your mother, and you talk about how your mother instilled this in you. When she sits back, I mean, and I know that she has copies of every publication that you've been featured in, okay? Uh, but well, does she sit back and some days, first of all, laugh about you? Do you, do you have funny stories? I can, I can see her talk about, yeah, I was coming down that hallway, you know, <laughs> I was coming down that hallway and what her, her recollection was. But does she sit back some days and sort of say non-verbally even, Jaquisha done good, that you, you, you kept up your end of that handshake? Yeah, what my mom, she would say to me, like birthdays and cards and different things, she would just she'd say, I'm the wind beneath her wings. Mm. That's what she says. You are my shero. You're everything I ever wanted to be. Yeah. Hmm. That's something. That's something. And how does that feel for you? Because you basically said the same thing about her, that she was your shero. She did this, that, and the other. But when she says that to you, I mean, do you, do you, do you, does your chest sort of poke out a little bit? Do you think about the hard times and and go like, you know, yeah, okay, I did that. I did that, uh, and I made my mama proud. You know, do you think from, from that moment when you were waiting for her to pull back that 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 curtain, not knowing, you know, was she just going to give you that look that could kill or actually kill? <laughs> and to now, do you, do you sort of, do you have a moment of, is that your really one of your your greatest accomplishments next to your daughter? I'll be honest with you. I don't do a lot of reflection. That was just a hard time for me. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, I eat. I'm reading a book right now. What is the year? To, the year of yes. Um, mm-hmm. Every uh-huh. time, every mm-hmm. by Shonda Rhimes. Yeah. Every time I'm asked to speak about my story, on the inside I'm thinking, 
Nobody wants to hear about this. Why are people so fascinated? Because the story to me is so crazy. Basketball athlete, one day and then like mom the next. I'm, I feel like I'm still processing it, Ms. Brown. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I can't believe that I'm a mom, like a whole life mother. Mm-hmm. It's shocking. Mm-hmm. I'm still shocked. 23 years later, I'm like, I have a daughter. Every time Jazz mm-hmm. Larry comes across my phone when she texts me, like, that is like my blood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting dynamic. Um, and I do need to do more of living in the moment. I feel like I'm always, what's the next thing, what's the next thing, and I probably could do more reflection. Um, uh-huh. I, I feel that my mother didn't um, take me to church often, but my neighbor across the street, Regina's mom, um, Regina Peoples, I would go to church with them. And one of the one of the foundations for me as a child and as I got through this was you're you're created in God's image. And, and in his likeness, and you can do all things. And that scripture, when I got introduced to that scripture, I really felt like it put me, it made me like a superhero. Like, if mm. I'm made in God's image, and I'm made in his likeness, and I can do all things. I mean, for me, I, and, I, and I've taken that literally, um, and that's how I operate. It's not like, what do I want to do? Okay, what are the steps? Then I do it. And, and there's no one who can tell me different. Um, and I just feel like I'm just a regular girl from the east side of Detroit who wakes up every day on purpose. I mean, I really feel that's the difference between me and anybody else who's a teen mom and who, whose story is different from mine is that I wake up every day knowing I can do it. Is it going to be easy? No. But is it possible? Yes. Even when you think about the word impossible, if you put that apostrophe in there, it says, I'm possible. Mm-hmm. And you think about what God and the Bible, not to get all preachy with you, I am. When you use that I am, you know, people know, people tell you, be mindful of the things you say because your words have power. So you say, if you live in your life, I am depressed, I am broke, I am sad, I am a, you know, a product of this. Those are the things you attract. So I have positive affirmations every day. I can and I will. I'm more than enough, I'm capable, and I'm able. I say that to myself every day, even when in the thick of, even in the thick of things, Ms. Brown, when I'm down, when I'm at my lowest, I say I can and I will. I'm capable and I'm able. And those affirmations allow me to transcend any darkness that I found myself in. Now, as your daughter, you know, your daughter's a young woman now. I mean, first of all, do you pinch yourself sometimes and go like, my baby's a young woman now, and what do you, you know, and often you know, uh, you know, your kids learn more watching than what you can ever tell them. But do you see that she's learned, picked up some things from you that in her work ethic, in her attitude toward life, that you know that what she saw made a difference? Absolutely, absolutely. So talk about our work ethic. I recently introduced her to my friend, Janan McDougal, who owns the Printheads Printing Shop in Southfield. Janan, um, she prints custom shirts and embroidery, and she was looking for help. And I'm like, oh, my daughter's home for the summer. You know, you should meet Jasmine. It was really, you know, just really informal, probably because she's like, oh, Jacquees, I just got respect for you, so I meet her. I'm going to just say an hour later, I get these messages like, oh, my God, I love your daughter. She's amazing. 
And she was like, starting out, I'm going to do, you know, Jasmine coming in four hours, three hours. Jasmine has been working in seven, eight o'clock at night. Matter of fact, to, so she's been working there just like now only think two weeks. Janine is on vacation with her husband, and Jasmine ran the whole print shop today by herself. Mm-hmm. Mm. So you think about the level of trust that it takes to meet somebody and work with them in a week, week and a half, and say, okay, here are the keys you can do, you know, hundreds of orders. That speaks, I was shocked. It speaks profoundly on the trust that Janin has and just how Jasmine showed up in the world at work. Thinking she was doing four hours and it turned out she's doing 35, 40 hours, Mm -hmm. right, because of her getting in there. And I want to share, I think Jasmine will be okay if I share this with you. This is a text (laughs) message we had about two days ago. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, mother-daughters, they have quarrels. Um, and this is Jasmine's message to me because I was upset and I, I was, we were just having a time. And Jasmine texts me. She says, I don't want you to ever feel as if you failed me. You've raised me to be strong, and that's exactly what I've been. You've given me so much strength and perseverance. All I want to do is make you happy. I promise that I will graduate from school. I will be successful. That's what I want my story to be, successful black woman, billion-dollar company, spends her work days traveling the world. I love you so much, and I never want to hurt you. <laughs> because, you've helped me, because you've helped me so much. You taught me that what happens to me doesn't define me. You've taught me how to keep myself together in the darkest time. You've taught me how to love myself inside, and without that, I probably would have fallen apart. You really are with me every step of the way. Mm. Mm, that's beautiful. You know, I mean, I was reading and you said how many, you know, and one of the things that many people assumed that Jasmine was the little sister of the young woman. And I can recall, like, you know, like I said, our stories are so much alike that many people would look at my son and think he was my mother. Or some people would say, he's not going to know you're the mother. But he did. My mother also made sure that he knew that I was his mother, but he knew too. Uh, right. You know, and and that is so important. And like you said, when you read this, it was like many people might have assumed it, but she knew you were her mother, and she learned. I mean, there's some ways that you two were growing together because, uh, you know, you were still a kid. You were growing up, but she learned about that. But she learned also about being a woman from the woman she saw you become. Absolutely. And we certainly weren't raised as sisters. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Jasmine knew mm-hmm. that off rip. And, you know, my mom being old school also uh, taught those old school ways to her. Um, so Jasmine is very much, my friends, <laughs> they call me like a sergeant, right? Because I'm very strict. I didn't want her to, uh-huh. I didn't want her to repeat what I went through. Like, I was way too young to pull a son on what I put on my mom. It's like, no, I can't, I don't want to be a grandma. The thought that I could be a grandma at 25, like 21, you know what I'm saying? Like, no, 26? No, 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 uh-huh. you can't, you can't repeat this. Um, so I was strict on her more so. Than her colleagues, because you think about Jasmine's colleagues, parents are like sixty. I remember like we get the emails from Girls Point South, such and such mom has died. These parents are seventy, eighty years old. And here I am, twenty-seven, <laughs> twenty-eight. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I go into the school, of course they're like, oh, you know, hi, 
uh, you know, uh, yes, you, I got a question about Jasmine's schedule or whatever it is. Well, we need to, in order for us to make some changes, well, we have to talk to Jasmine's mom. So, well, I am Jasmine's mom. Mm-hmm. And he just got this like Sarah, they look like, well, how old are you? It's like, well, you know, then I do it, and they do the math, and it's like, yeah. Then I, I found myself telling the story over and over, and it would just be in awe. Like, they just can't mm-hmm. believe it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, really, I mean, I am proud of you. You know, and I think that these are stories that we need to we need to tell that, you know, all of this stuff, you know, kudos to your mother, kudos to you. Kudos to Jasmine. I know that you are so proud. I mean, so proud. You know, pinch yourself. Yeah, that's my baby. (laughs) (laughs) I am. Thank you. I appreciate the love. Yeah, I am proud. I'm proud of her. She's, um, you know, a singer up at Michigan State, even though I went to Michigan. That's okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Go blue. Oh, yeah. Our robbery, I'm going to tell you, during football season, she have on her Spartan gear, and I have on my Michigan gear, and we go at it um, healthily, of course. But we have, a good, we have a great relationship, and I've taught her to be independent. I mean, and she, and she owns it. She owns it. And, she's, and she's, she's, a, she's a fine young lady that I'm proud, to, you know, to have as a daughter. So I know, you, you, like you always said, well, sooner or later, I mean, you're going to slow down to, to, to savor the moment. But right now, you're doing it. I mean, you're doing it besides your law practice, besides, okay, the Build Institute. First of all, if someone thinks that they this is something that they should be engaged in or find out more, how do they find out about the Build Institute? Well, if you've got any idea, right, and I tell people just your passion, if your friends say, you know, you make the bomb ribs, you make the bomb cookies, or you, you know, you created this bomb gidget or widget, take your passion and monetize it. Mm-hmm. Um, and all you need is an idea. We can help you take that idea and help you build it. And you just go to buildinstitute.org. Um, and check out our classes, check out our courses, check out our programs. Uh, we have, on August 1st, we have a seminar coming up with Sam Adams, the beer company, and they're flying in from Boston. Uh-huh. We're doing what's called a Sam Adams Speed Coaching. We're going to have over 30 experts, leading experts, in various components of business. So we're going to have lawyers there. We're going to have accountants there, PR, marketing, finance, business planning, the whole gamut, the whole totality of whatever facet you can think of about a business design, architect. We're going to have them there. And every 20 minutes, 25 minutes, you can switch from expert to expert talking to them while drinking your free Sam Adams beer. We're going to have food catered by Cooking with Q. And we're also going to have grilled Hot dogs provided by Stacy Williams and his hot dog vending business, who and, and they're both our build grads. And that's August first, the Thursday night, six to eight thirty at the Jam Handy, and that's twenty nine hundred East Grand Boulevard, right over there off of Woodward and East Grand Boulevard. Okay, okay. Now, well, I see you at the NAACP conference. To say, I hope that you're there because there's some people who I've worked with through them who I think that, and I, I'm telling them about Detroit. They are just like, you know, even though they kind of know about Detroit, until you hear about it from Detroiters, they're like, wow, we didn't know you were doing this. Wow, we didn't know you were doing that. So, yes, we are. 
you know, Detroit <laughs> is and is a phenomenal city. We have exported more than than that we have kept. I mean, you know, I talk to people from across the country, and many people who are very creative who are doing things. If you talk to them, they started here in Detroit. You know, Absolutely. part of their lives are from Detroit, and I am so happy that you're working not only to, to continue to develop this great pool of talent that we have here, but it's staying here, you know, so that, yes. that you know, we don't have to go and find, oh, they're old, they've left and gone. They're going to be right here. Absolutely. Right now. And, I, and, I, and I, be, I believe just my schedule so I can take you up on that offer and join you on Tuesday. So if we can talk offline more about those details, I, um, I, I do want to, I appreciate the invitation, and I want to take you up on that offer to join you at that reception. Definitely, definitely. Um, okay, so what's next for you? What's what next? What do you see as your next of- frontier? <laughs> <laughs> What's next, if I can tell you just in the short term, next, outside of the August 1st event, our next Detroit Soup event is going to be August 25th, also at the Jam Handy, and you can pitch for uh, to be selected up until August 11th, DetroitSoup.com backslash uh, submit. Um, and, and the only requirement is that whatever you're pitching for, product or service, has a positive impact on the city of Detroit. And what's next for me, I am going to continue to – grind and be a social advocate. Um, I'm really looking at politics and just being a woman. You know, I feel like the future is female. So don't be surprised if you see me joining and linking up with the squad. Uh, (laughs) Well, you know know what? It's funny that you said that because in my mind I was thinking like, she should run for office. We need (laughs) her there. You know, we need that fresh voice. We need that, that voice from the community. I hope that you consider it. I mean, and hey, count me on Team Purify. <laughs> <laughs> I love count it. Me, count me in there. Well, Jaquise, um, it's been great talking to you. Uh, I look forward to having even more conversations with you and supporting you um, in all that you do. You know, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to get so I can rock a, a bow tie. <laughs> <laughs> Thank I'm you so much. Okay. <laughs> I think you're a rocket will too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, um, so again, I want to thank you for being a part of the show, Jaquise. I wish you success in all you do, and I look forward to seeing you in and about our community. Thank you. I look forward to seeing you as well. Okay. All right. Talk to you soon. Okay. Have a good night. Okay. Okay. I want to thank today's guest, attorney and community advocate, Jacquise Purefoy. Purefoy is entrepreneur in residence at the Build Institute. The Build Institute helps people turn their business ideas into reality by providing them with the necessary tools, resources, and support network in Detroit. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. You can listen to this or past episodes of a show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual 
living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.